All right, and welcome back, beloved. Today's video is titled, Christ Redeemed Us from the Curse of the Law. And just to break that down a little bit, Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One of God, redeemed, he purchased us back from the curse, which is the wrath. And that wrath came from us violating, the human race violating the law of God. It's from Galatians 3.13. And the reason I'm making this video is recently I want to give you guys some resources to dig into the book of Galatians. I've been digging into that book a little bit and Martin Luther, who really sparked the Reformation, on YouTube there's a free 10 hour and 42 minute commentary on the book of Galatians by Martin Luther. And I've listened to about six or seven hours of it. Um, it has been a real joy to my soul. And the reason I'm making this video today is I always love to listen to, to better men than me teach the Word of God and then go at it from sort of a different angle. Um, but the real reason I'm making this video and my, my prayer for me, my prayer for you guys that this video encourages you is, uh, you know, lately as I've struggled with sin or I felt condemnation in my own heart or anxiety from my conscience, uh, you know, and even the devil possibly accusing us, right? Satan is the accuser of the brethren. Uh, what has freed my conscience and just brought so much joy to my spiritual walk is just going deeper into the gospel and deeper into my understanding of what the law is and what the law is not and what salvation is, right? And as I've done that, I haven't found any better place than the book of Galatians. And, and what I found amazing is just yesterday, to give you some background on why I put together this video, I was talking to another brother in Christ who was struggling with sin and vacillating between thinking I'm saved, I'm not saved, having the normal doubts that we all struggle with. And we went through some of these things. He shared them with me and then I shared some things back with him. And I think he went from depressed to sort of, you know, joyfully laughing on the phone as we both just focused on Christ. And I immediately went home and I had all these ideas in my head, all these verses in my head, and uh, started to study it. And so I just, I ended up, the way I made this video is a little different than I normally make it, but I am really hopeful it will encourage your soul and, and just... I believe we need the gospel preached to us all the time, and Martin Luther even said this, we constantly forget it. So today, I'm not preaching the gospel to you where I'm calling you to repent and believe. This video is to get a deeper understanding of the gospel, of what Christ has accomplished for us, right? And so the whole point of this video today is for you to have a deeper understanding of this one verse, really this one section of scripture, Galatians 3, 10 to 13. But the real verse I want us to understand is, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Now we're going to get to cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree in a little while, but this is what I want you guys to get a deeper and richer understanding. And as we focus on what Christ has done, it's going to free your conscience. Uh, your, if I do it correctly, which I very well may not, <laughs> uh, it frees my conscience. I've seen it free my brother in Christ's conscience. The gospel, it just has this joyful effect on us as we study deeper and deeper into it. So Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. So in order to study this, we need to go back to Genesis chapters 2 and 3. We need to see the law. 
We need to see the curse, and we're going to study how Christ fixed all of this in two ways that I think, just drawing some parallels, I find really fascinating. I think you'll find them really fascinating. But we have to go back to Genesis, and honestly, I can never get away from Genesis chapters 2 and 3, and maybe Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3. Everything's there. I mean, within the first three verses of the Bible, I can show you the gospel. (laughs) Within the first three chapters of the Bible, all of the gospel is there. I mean, it's literally incredible. I can never get away. And so constantly, every like 10 or 15 videos, you'll see me get back to Genesis chapter 2 and 3. We all understand the story. The first law, remember, the law brings wrath. The law brings a curse. In the garden, we were given one law. (laughs) Mankind, the human race, was given so much by God. We were made kings. We were given, uh, you know, uh, bodies. We were created. We were given the animals. Adam was given a wife. And we were just given one law to test our fidelity and faithfulness to God. Do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For in the day you eat from it, this was the law, uh, and this was the consequence, you will surely die. That is the wrath of God, the curse Uh, And the wrath of God brings death, but it also brings several other things. So now we're going to jump ahead to Genesis 3, verse 16. Uh, You know, we have eaten the fruit. We are are ashamed. We are hiding and separate from God. And then God comes down. He speaks to the devil first, and then he speaks to the human race. Uh, And this is part of our curse. This is part of the wrath of God in, in the Garden of Eden. We see the grace of God in the Garden of Eden as well, but this is not that. This is explaining now what we've done and the penalty for that. And God curses the human race. So the woman he starts with, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain, you will bring forth children. That's the first one. You've got to understand, we're going to talk about how Christ fixes all of this. So the first curse is pain in childbirth. What should be a joyful occasion on earth, which is the bringing in of new life, it's now going to be extremely painful. There's obviously a deeper meaning in that. And in pain, you will bring forth children. So every time a woman has a painful birth, it's a reminder of the curse. It says, your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. So now that joyful relationship between man and wife and even the human race and the animal kingdom, there is now hostility there. Hostility has entered. You know, men are authoritative over their wives and wives are rebellious to their husband. It's not like one is right and one is wrong. We're all wrong. And that's part of the wrath of God for breaking his law. And so we see here pain in childbearing hostility within the family unit. Then he goes to the man and to Adam, he says, because you've listened to the voice of your wife, you've eaten from the tree, you've broken the law, the commandment, right? Uh, Saying you shall not eat from it. He then says, very important, cursed is the ground because of you. In toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life. Very important to understand. The curse is work. You will have to work now just to survive. Before we broke the commandment of God, we have no idea how it actually felt to be in the garden, but you had a perfect body. You had a perfect mind. There was no sickness. There were things to do that gave you joy, like naming the animals and all those things, but it wasn't toil. It wasn't work at all. We have no idea how it actually felt, but we know it wasn't toilsome. It wasn't work. It was a gracious gift to do anything for God. 
He then goes on to say, both thorns and thistles, very important you understand that, uh, or just remember that. Thorns and thistles are a sign of the curse. Very important. We're going to talk more about that later. Both thorns and thistles, it shall grow for you. So the ground is cursed. When you work in it, you're not guaranteed any success. It might even just grow thorns and thistles for you. He says, you will eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your face. He's really harping on the fact that life is now work just to survive. It says you will eat bread. So just to survive now, to maintain your life, you are going to have to work. And then he says, till you return to the ground, because from it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you will return. Finally, death. So just to reiterate these and clarify, and there's many other things you could deduce from this, separation from God, uh, different curses, like we could break this down further. This is just four broad categories we're going to speak about today. Okay, I try and keep these under an hour. <laughs> Pain and childbearing, hostility between family members, cursed ground, thorns, work to merely survive, and finally, death. And so we're going to talk about how Christ fixes this in two ways. And I'm going to keep us on track here. Uh, you know, I'm going to talk about it in several, you know, we're going to keep this in order. First, I want to talk about this prophetically. I want you to see how God slowly revealed this over time, how thousands of years ago, he gives us a shadow of it, uh, 3,500 years ago. And then 2,000 years ago, when Christ enters creation, he gives us the full picture, the clear picture of it. So number one, we're going to talk about how this was actually accomplished prophetically, revealed over time, right? Number two, effectually. Like, what does it mean? Okay, like, what did Christ really do? And these are going to overlap a little bit because prophecy and things revealed over time is kind of my wheelhouse. But we're going to try and stay as structured as we can. So prophetically, revealed over time how Christ would fix all of this. I, I want you to remember, when the law was given... It brought wrath, it brought death, it brought the curse. Never in the garden is God saying that you can bring any amount of salvation by following the law. There's, there's not even a hint of that. And so Genesis 3, 15, you see grace. He is speaking to the devil and he says, I will put hostility between you and the woman, between you and Eve's children, between your seed, the children of the devil, read John chapter 8, and her seed, the children of God. This word is incredible. Never in the Bible is, is the woman's seed ever mentioned. Women simply do not have seeds. This is a foreshadowing of the virgin birth of Christ, her seed. He shall bruise, crush you on the head. He will, Christ will, the seed of the woman will destroy you. He will crush your head. You will bruise him on the heel. Christ's heels were punctured on the cross, and the devil thought he was getting some great victory. He was merely fulfilling the plan of God. And then we see grace again in the garden. Mankind tries to cover up our, our um, sin, cover up our law-breaking by following some law. We try and put fig leaves on ourselves to hide our shame, and it doesn't work. The Lord God made garments of skin. That's the first animal sacrifice. It's a fuzzy picture for Adam and his wife, and he clothed them. You know, Christ clothed us with the robes of salvation. So I want you to understand, this is that first fuzzy picture. This is prophetically revealing over time how the seed is going to conquer the devil, how the seed of the woman, how Christ is going to fix all this mess that we did. 
Now, I want you to see it again in the Old Testament. About 20 chapters later, Genesis 22, we have another foreshadowing, okay? We have Abraham taking his son, his only son whom he loved, to go up and, and God tests him. And he says, go and sacrifice your son. And it's written in Genesis 22, Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and he laid it on his son, Isaac. And then in John chapter 19, so Isaac is carrying the wood for his own sacrifice, to, to, for his own cross. But, uh, but in John chapter 19, thousands of years later, you have to understand Genesis 22, the garden incident, the Abraham and Isaac incident is written 3,500 years ago. John chapter 19 is written 1900, about 2,000 years ago. It says, carrying his own cross, Christ went out to the place of the skull to be crucified. Guys, this is incredible if you understand the foreshadowings and what God is revealing. So remember I said how, how important thorns and thistles are, right? Thorns and thistles represent the curse. There were no thorns in the Garden of Eden. It says you will eat the plants of the field. Thorns and thistles represent this curse. Well, when Abraham goes up, he's about to slaughter his son. And the angel says, stop, stop. He stops him, right? And Abraham raises his eyes later on and he looks and be, he sees a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. Guys, this is another fuzzy picture. In fact, Abraham almost sacrificing Isaac, that's not a fuzzy picture of Christ. That's a clear picture, right? Like the father really sent the son into the world and, and sacrificed his own son for us, Christ. But, but then you see a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. Guys, this, this is Christ. I'm going to show you this in a second. This is another fuzzy picture. Abraham goes and he takes this ram and he offers him for a burnt offering. And this is so important in the place of his son. This is substitutionary atonement in the place of humanity. Christ died in the place. See, John chapter 19, verse 2 reveals this perfectly. It says the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head. Guys, Christ is the ram caught in the thicket by the horns. You get it? The thicket, the thorns, the thistles. Christ was, the thorns were put on his head. The curse was put on his head. Christ bore the curse for us. He died in our place. You see, there are hundreds of specific prophecies Christ fulfilled. For example, Zechariah says he'll be sold for 30 shekels of silver. Uh, you know, that, that's straightforward. But then there's thousands of foreshadowings. All of scripture is pointing towards Jesus. Jesus is the God-man, the Yahweh of the Old Testament in human flesh. It's incredible. And so Jesus is the curse bearer. He bears the curse. Jesus is the ram caught in the thicket. Jesus is the one who dies in place of his children, in place of his bride. This is incredible. I want to see the, I want you to see this again now. Remember Galatians 3.13. I said we'd come back to it. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. He became a curse for us. He bore our curse for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Now, this is really fascinating. This is a whole nother prophetic angle of this. Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. This is written 3,500 years ago, 1,500 years before Christ is even born. In the law, the law that kills, the law that offers no salvation, within the law, you see foreshadowings of grace and mercy and sacrifice. It says, if a man has committed a sin worthy of death, we've all done that. 
all of mankind deserves death. That's why all of mankind dies. And I mean, that's how it works, okay? Death is a, a punishment for breaking God's laws. If a man has committed a sin worthy of death and he is put to death and you hang him on a tree. Okay, you got to understand Jesus was hung on a tree. A Roman cross was just tree branches. Uh, Paul says the God of our fathers raised up Jesus whom you put to death by hanging him on a cross. But look at what the law said. It's incredible. His corpse, the dead man's corpse, will not hang all night on the tree. You will bury him on the same day for he who is hanged is accursed of God. Don't defile your land. He's saying, don't leave this body overnight. That will defile your whole nation. But the one who's hanged, he's accursed by God. And you have to understand, you know, at the end of the law, it's written, the secret things belong to the Lord, but the things revealed belong to us. This is sort of a secret thing. I'm sure some of the Israelites were like, why? Because you have to understand, if you read Deuteronomy 21 and 20 and 19 and 18 and 22, you're going to see a lot of very straightforward laws. Don't have sex. Uh, a man can't have sex with a man. Don't steal. Don't murder. Honor your father and, father and mother. This is like all straightforward, forward, like what a human being would uh, understand a law of God to be. And then all of a sudden, in the midst of all of that, it says, he who is hanged is cursed by God. Do not leave him overnight or the whole nation, the whole land is defiled. And then it goes on in John chapter 19, Jesus fulfilled this perfectly. The Jews, because it was the day of preparation, they're preparing the Passover lamb. It's another foreshadowing of Christ. The bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day. They, they took Christ's body down. Christ was our curse on the cross. He bore the wrath of God. He bore the curse of God. and He fulfilled that foreshadowing perfectly. They removed him that night. It is incredible. And so this is what I'm trying to explain to you, and I try and explain this prophetically, how it was revealed over time. Hebrews, the New Testament in chapter 10 says, the law has only a shadow of the good things to come. It has a shadow, not the very form. The Like Christ does not abolish the law. Christ fulfills the law. Everything about the, everything in the law, the prophets and the Psalms perfectly point to Christ. The law has a shadow. The ram caught in the thicket is a shadow. The sacrifice in the garden that clothed Adam and Eve is a shadow. The fact that anyone hanging on a tree is cursed, and for thousands of years, the Israelites probably had no idea why, right? Uh, it, it, it's a shadow. It's, it's a fuzzy picture. And that law cannot, by these temporary sacrifices that all pointed to Christ, uh, make those perfect. What Christ did can make us perfect, glorified. Colossians chapter 2, it's speaking about the law and people that try and bring you back to the law and trying to get you to rely on the law for your justification instead of the finished work of Christ. It says the festivals, the law, all these things, the food and the drink, the high moon days, the Sabbath days, they're a mere shadow of what's to come. The substance belongs to Christ. Beloved, it is all about Christ, all everything. Romans chapter 16 says, To him, God, who is able to establish you according to my gospel, my good news, and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to, this is so key, the revelation, the revealing of the mystery, 
which has been kept secret for long ages past. God in his sovereignty picked a perfect time to reveal the fullness of the gospel. It doesn't mean people weren't saved in the Old Testament. They were looking forward to this coming Messiah. But it was a mystery. It was kept secret for long ages past, especially from the nations. Very few of the Gentiles entered into covenant relationship with Yahweh in the Old Testament. But now it's manifested. And by the scriptures of the prophets, the very scriptures I'm reading you today, according to the commandment of the eternal God, has been made known to all the nations. The gospel is to go forth to all nations. It is good news. It has been revealed now. We are to go and preach it. And it leads to the obedience of the faith. We don't cast off the law. The law of God is good, but the law cannot save you. You need to get saved first. You need to be justified by faith, by the grace of God, through faith in what Christ has done alone. And when you're born again, yes, that will lead to the obedience of faith. Absolutely. You will have a new heart and a new spirit. By faith, you will walk in what Christ has done. You'll want to grow more and more and more holy, but that won't save you. Only thing that can save you is Christ on the cross. That's it. So we talked about how this gospel, how this curse bearing it has been prophetically revealed over time. Now, effectually, what does it mean? And this is really fascinating to me. This study was really, and, and I did it quickly, but this study was really good. Number one, no more pain. Let's go back all the way to the curse. In pain, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain, you will bring forth your children. Uh, Christ, you know, it's amazing. Christ uses this exact analogy. He says, whenever a woman is in labor, she has pain. It's almost as if the pain of women bringing uh, children, bringing life into the world, represents the pain of the Messiah bringing eternal life. It's incredible. Whenever a woman's in labor, she has pain. Her hour has come, but when she gives birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish because of the joy that a child has been born into the world. It's written of Christ. He despised the shame and the pain as the Lord of the universe, but for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. It says, therefore, he says to his disciples, you have grief now, but I'll see you again and your heart will rejoice and no one will take your joy away from you. Beloved, one day we are going to see Christ and Revelation 21 reveals there's not going to be any pain, not only not of childbearing, no pain. It says he'll wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. Beloved, how did Christ do this? We know Christ bore the wrath of God, but we also now know Christ bore the curse of God. We know the curse involved pain. Christ took our pain. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities on the cross. It wasn't the Roman whip or the scourging. Yes, that was painful, but look at this. The chastening, the punishment, the eternal hellfire we deserve for breaking God's law, the punishment for our well-being fell on him. And by his scourging, we are healed. The birth pains and all the pains of this life have we've been freed from, all the wrath of God we deserve, and Christ bore that pain. That's a hero. Matthew 24, just to finish this up, the no more pain. When he's describing his own second coming, where he will, he will, you know, with finality, destroy death. He says, all these things are merely the beginning of birth pains. And in Revelation 12, it talks about the nation Israel, in a sense, giving birth to the Messiah, the one who will rule the nations. And it says that nation 
was in pain like a, like a woman in labor and she gave birth to the Messiah. So we see this correlation and I just find that fascinating that Christ uh, bore our curse. Christ bore the wrath of God and Christ felt pain for us. That's love like you can't imagine. Number two, no more hostility in God's created universe. No more hostility between the animal kingdom and, and the human race. No more hostility within, within the human race, you know, husbands and wives, children and fathers. No more hostility between God and mankind. If you're not in Christ, you are at war with God. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Genesis 3.16, it says, Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. Mankind now falls into this, this authoritative, rebellious, the very relationships that are to bring joy can often bring sorrow. Christ, Christ redeems all of that. Isaiah 32 talking about the rule and reign of Christ during his millennial kingdom and the new heaven and new earth, says the work of righteousness will be peace, the service of righteousness, quietness, and confidence forever. It's written in another prophet, I think Isaiah, God will rejoice over us with singing. He will quiet us with his love. Then my people will live in a peaceful habitation and in secure dwellings and in undisturbed resting places Hebrews chapter 12 says, you, haven't, you, you have come to Mount Zion. You haven't gone to the other mountain. Mount Sinai, there was fear, trembling, lightning, volcano essentially, like fire and lightning from heaven. The entire nation of Israel is terrified. Why? They're receiving the law, which brings death. It says, you've come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to myriads of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn. That's us, beloved who are enrolled in heaven in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, perfect unity in heaven with the angels and with all of the church and with all believers of all time, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant. It's talking about this amazing unity between God and man and between man and the angels and between man and man. There's no more hostility. Romans chapter 14 says the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. It's not mundane things. It's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. How on earth does Jesus bear the curse of God and the curse brings hostility? Christ bore the curse. Christ bore the wrath of God and Christ endured hostility. Look at this. Hebrews chapter 12. Consider him Christ who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. What Christ did for us, yes, his sacrifice atoned for all our sins, but all of his good deeds, that's the very righteousness he will robe us with for all eternity. He credits us his righteousness through faith in him. This is incredible. Don't you understand? The hostility we deserve for, for breaking God's law, Christ bore that hostility. That's so righteous, so loving that the God of the universe would do that. Next, the curse brought work. You would have to work just to live. Christ brings rest. Let's go back to the curse. Genesis chapter 3. He says, because you've done this, you will not. Uh, cursed is the ground because of you, the place of your work. In toil, work, you will eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it will grow for you, and you will eat plants of the field. By the sweat of your face, you will eat bread. That is work, 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 work just to survive. And look at what Christ says. Christ says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. 
Jesus is our Sabbath rest. Don't you understand? The Sabbath day points towards the eternal rest with God. The promised land the Israelites went into point towards that eternal rest. But even it points towards heaven. Even when they entered the promised land, it's still written hundreds of years after that, that we can enter God's rest. There's a rest, not just a, a, an earthly promised land. There's the, the heavenly Jerusalem, the kingdom of God for all eternity. And Jesus has come to me, and look at this, all Anyone who wants, anyone who desires the water of life, Jesus says, come to me and drink freely. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The curse brought work because we broke the law. There are many people weary and heavy laden with two things. They're weary by trying to obey the law for salvation. That's what Catholicism teaches you. That's what Islam teaches you. That's what Buddhism teaches you. That's what the Jehovah's Witness teach you. That's what Mormons teach you that you can, and, and they'll acknowledge that Christ died and that's all fine and dandy to them, but they'll still point you back to your own good deeds. No, no, the law kills. The spirit gives life. It's by faith alone, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. It's about what Christ did for wicked men. Come to me all, no matter what you've done, who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. The second thing people are wearied with is their sin. Sin is a lot of work. Lust is a cruel master. Christ is a good master. He has a yoke. There's, he's not yokeless, but take it. He's gentle and humble, and you'll find rest for your soul. His yoke is easy. His burden is light because he empowers you with his power and his spirit to obey him. You'll find rest for your souls. The curse brought work. Christ offers grace and rest. These verses are the very verses that are so tender to my heart. The day I was born again, I knew Jesus was God. Uh, I didn't know it the day before. These are the very verses I read, and I knew I was saved for the first time in my life. These verses are probably my favorite verses in the whole Bible. Uh, at least experientially. And I, I tried to work very hard for my salvation. I lived uh, a couple decades, probably 15 years uh, of my life from childhood to like 25 or so in just the most flagrant sin you could imagine. And, and when that didn't do anything, I spent six to nine months trying to be a Christian because I was told I was a Christian my whole life. And I was working hard for my salvation. I mean, I flew to Israel and got baptized in the Jordan, nothing. I did all the works you could imagine. I read the whole Bible. I read books about the Bible. My conscience tormented me. Uh, I was working. If you could work for your salvation, I would have I figured it out. <laughs> but you can't. It says, to the one who works... His wage is not credited as a favor, but as what is due. You can't pay God back. But to the one who does not work, does not work, but believes in him, Jesus, the God-man, who, so key, justifies the ungodly. His faith is credited as righteousness. Beloved, are you ungodly? Me too. Do you believe in Jesus? Do you believe he's God? Do you believe he died on the cross and rose from the dead? Good. He died to justify the ungodly, not justify the good people, not justify the righteous. He died to justify the ungodly. You have faith in him. Great. That's credited as your righteousness. Jesus is all of my righteousness. I have no righteousness apart from Christ. I don't want it and neither should you. How does Christ bring about all this rest for us? Beloved, he works for us. He serves us. He washes our feet. Look at this. This is incredible. 
Why do you think so many times Christ was doing work on the Sabbath? The Jews were persecuting Jesus. They were saying, he's doing these things on the Sabbath. We're supposed to be resting. He's healing people. He answered them, my father is working until now, and I myself am working. Now, this is a duality. This is a paradox. It is not an oxymoron. After the creation, remember, on the seventh day, God rested from his works. In a sense, everything God has ever done and going to do, it's already done. He's resting. He knows what's going to happen. But in another sense, yes, God is the originator and sustainer of all creation. Every breath you take, every cheeseburger you eat, every breeze you feel is, in a sense, God working. And the Spirit is working in the world right now, convincing people of sin and righteousness and judgment. Christ is interceding on our behalf right now, praying for us. The Father is always working in a sense. If God wasn't working in a sense, you wouldn't exist right now. My Father is working until now, and I myself am working. Beloved, do you enjoy a covenant of grace? Do you enjoy grace? Do you enjoy that you don't have to work for your salvation? There was work involved in your salvation. A lot of work. It just wasn't your work. It was Christ's work. The Son entered into a covenant with the Father. The Father chose us from all eternity. And the Son covenanted with the Father that he would enter his own creation and die on the cross. That's a lot of work. And this, and this was all done. Jesus offered himself up to God through the eternal spirit. All of the Trinity was involved in our salvation. And that took a lot of work so that we could experience grace and no work. In John chapter 6, people were asking Jesus, what should we do so that we can work the works of God? And Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God. This is the work. This is God's work that you believe in him whom he has sent. Christ bore the curse of God. Christ bore the wrath of God. And Christ worked for us. This is a great salvation. This is heroic. This is loving. He, I mean, he had to really live for 33 years. He had to really die. He had to really serve creatures in humility that deserved nothing but his wrath. He died for the ungodly. He died for his enemies to make them his friends. He worked and he still works for us. This is love. God's goodness should bring you to repentance. This, is, this should prick your heart. If you're not saved, this should crush you to where you beg God for mercy. And if you are saved, you can't lose your salvation. But any sin you're struggling with, these words and this concept of what Christ has done for us, this should motivate us to, to pursue sanctification and to give up our sin. Not because we're going to hell if we don't. Not because we can work for our salvation. The law kills but because look at this, the Spirit works through the Word. Look at what God has done. The work of God is that we believe in Him whom He sent. By grace we have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. This is, our faith is a gift. Finally, the curse brought death, and Christ brings eternal life. For dust you are, and to dust you shall return. Job had no scripture, and he knew he was dust. Abraham had, you know, I don't think Abraham had any scripture. In his, yeah, Abraham didn't have any scripture. Moses hadn't written the Pentateuch yet, Genesis through, through, through Deuteronomy. And he said, I am dust. We were created from dust. The first man was from dust and the second man, Christ, from heaven. And to dust we will return. The curse brought death. The wages of sin is death. But the free gift, it's, it's enunciated twice, free and gift. A gift is free, right? A free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus 
our Lord. The wages of sin is death. We cannot pay God back for breaking his law. In fact, if you try and fulfill the law of God for salvation, you are just sinning and rejecting the grace of God. The wages of sin is death. If you want what you deserved, it is death and hell. Go for the free gift. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live, even if he dies. In John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And so Jesus bears the wrath of God. Jesus bears the curse of God. Jesus fulfills the law of God. And the law demanded that a man die. Man sinned. Our federal head, Adam, sinned. He brought the whole human race into the rebellion of the devil. God's justice demanded a man would have to die. And so what happens? Christ died. I mean, it's, it's that simple. While we were still helpless, we're helpless. We can't fulfill the law. We can't follow the law. The law is just a tutor. It shows us we're sinners. We're undone. The entire human race is enemies of God and rebellious against his righteousness. We live on a planet ruled by the devil, the God of this world. We've entered into that rebellion, and we all hate God. And that's what the law reveals. We are helpless. But at the right time, the Messiah died for the ungodly. And so Christ the Messiah redeemed us, purchased us back with his blood from the curse of the law. It's just incredible. I hope this video has blessed you. I hope you have a deeper understanding of this. And I, I hope it's freed your conscience to understand that salvation is by grace. There is nothing you can do to earn it. And it's through faith in what Christ has done and his work. And God has prophetically revealed that to us over time. And it is clear as day now. And, and he's shown us what the effects of it are right now and will be one day. And I rejoice in that. And I hope you do too.